what is up, guys? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Bringing Grace to the Nations podcast. I am your host, Victor, and I am so excited for this episode, as I say every week, because I am equally, no, 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 this one I'm really excited for. I'm just always excited. I'm sorry. So, I just want to give you guys a quick, uh, just a few quick updates before we dive into our first week in the systematic theology. Yes, this is week one of us going through Louis Burkhoff's systematic theology. I am so, so, so excited. And uh, But before we get into that, I just want to touch base on a few things. Our website has currently been under construction for quite a while. I've been doing a lot of changes to it, a lot of internal stuff. Uh, we've been struggling with what I think may have been like a few potential viruses viruses or something, no data. We're, we're fine. I just need to work through uh, some of the internal things on the website. And so I've been dealing with a lot of that recently. And so that's probably why you've seen some changes on the website, but don't worry. Uh, if you've gotten something from the store or something like that, all your information is completely safe. I don't even have access to it. So don't worry about that. Um, you guys are good. I just, we're working on it. I just uh, switched hosts and I switched uh, domain providers and things like that. So it's kind of difficult. It's kind of weird, but we're doing it. And hopefully the website will be faster and better after all these changes take place. Uh, that's the reason why I was doing it is because my old host wasn't that great. So I've migrated to a new host who's really awesome. Uh, they, they, they provide just a, a lot more, uh, in terms of internet security, safety, and uh, server size. So hopefully you guys may see a difference. Make sure you go check out our website. It has over 300, articles on it. So 300 things all regard, all revolving around theology or the Christian living or book reviews. I mean, there's tons of stuff on there and I wouldn't want you guys to miss out on an awesome resource for your uh, study. So this week we are in chapter one of Louis Burkhoff's Systematic Theology. I am so excited. Uh, last week, if you missed uh, our episode, we talked about like what is systematic theology and the importance of it and the importance of systematic theology in the Christian's life, the importance of studying it and things like that. Not separating it from biblical theology because uh, we all know biblical theology is extremely important and it, it, systematic theology can't go without biblical theology. But I want to take... Uh, quite a bit. And I just want us to walk through this systematic theology together. I left a link to the book in the show notes last week. I'll leave a link to the book again this week. It's literally $13 on Amazon. And the reason I decided to, to really want to go through this is I'm actually reading through this book with a buddy of mine. And as I started reading it, I, I realized that that this is this is kind of like a next level systematic theology. You know, we have Wayne Grudem and we have, uh, you know, Chan and we have all these different not Francis Chan, different Chan. Um, all these other systematic theologies, which are which are pretty decent. They're good. And. and and I've read them and I enjoyed them. But when I when I started reading this one, when I started reading Louis Burkhoff, I I was just astounded by some of his insights and, and some of his things. The thing that I really love about Louis Burkhoff here is that he actually goes through the history of these theological ideas. And so I absolutely love that. I love church history. And I think that this systematic theology and Louis Burkhoff specifically uh, has done a fantastic job. A little bit about Louis Burkhoff. Uh, he lived early 19th century. Um, wait, 1900s, not 19th century. I don't, I, my centuries are all mixed up because they're, they're not, they don't match the years. So it's stupid. Uh, but the book, the systematic theology, this one at least was published in 1949. 
and um, $13 on Amazon. I totally recommend you pick it up. So he starts it off with his preface and then the being of God and the existence of God. Uh, he, then he talks about some of the arguments for God and some of the... Uh, some of the reasons why people don't believe in God. He talks about agnosticism and atheism and all these other things. I'm going to kind of fast forward through that. Uh, it's not that I don't think it's important or that I, I don't think it's beneficial for us. I just think that that's something that's really easy to understand in his systematic theology. And so taking a lot of time on a podcast to talk about it just isn't as worthwhile as diving into some of the deeper stuff that he talks about. So I'm going to leave that up to you guys. That's like the first 10, 15 pages. And uh, the arguments are really interesting. If you've never studied the arguments for God, they're really interesting. He does a pretty decent job of giving you a short synopsis of each one, the ontological argument, the cosmological argument, all those things. Uh, I, I suggest that you read those. But today we are going to be picking up on page 11. If you guys are following along, if not, that's totally okay, because we're just going to talk about awesome theology. And so uh, this specific chapter, I'm going to try and also keep these podcasts relatively short. We're going to be doing a brief synopsis and review of the chapter, my quick thoughts, and that'll be it. So hopefully these podcasts don't exceed 15, 20 minutes. Anyways, uh, we are going to be focusing on, in on the second part of chapter one uh, on the knowability of God. And I think this is really interesting that he starts uh, his book, at least he doesn't start the book, but it's in the beginning uh, where he talks about the knowability of God. And this is something that I think a lot of Christians just don't necessarily think about. I think this is something that just kind of like glosses over our head. And uh, it's really cool that he takes the time to talk about it. And so the first line uh, in, in this section says this, the Christian church confesses on the one hand that God is incomprehensible, but on the other hand that he, is, that he can be known and that knowledge of him is an absolute prerequisite, is an, is an absolute requisite unto salvation. I'll read that again for you. The, church, the Christian church confesses on the one hand that God is incomprehensible, but also on the other hand that he can be known and that knowledge of him is an absolute requisite unto salvation. That's that's how he starts it off. And I think that's really interesting. And I kind of want to sit here for a second because he's he starts it with saying, well, God, God cannot be known. He is he cannot be comprehended by our human mind. But then he goes on to say, but on the other hand, he can be known and knowledge of him is absolute requirement for salvation. Uh, you cannot be saved without a knowledge of God. Um, and so he takes time and he actually dissects that a little bit more in the chapter. But what does it mean for God to be incomprehensible? Um, and he sits through and he goes through, um, he, he, he goes through and he, he quotes Job and Isaiah and first John and uh, the gospel of John. And, and he really just walks through some of the scriptures that would relate to uh, God being incomprehensible, but then also God being uh, comprehensible. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in, in a bit. But then he quotes Luther and he says, Luther speaks repeatedly of God as the hidden God in distinction from him as the revealed God. In some passages, he even speaks of the revealed God as still a hidden God in view of the fact that we cannot fully know him even through his special revelation. To Calvin, God in the depths of his being is past finding out. His essence, Calvin says, that God is incomprehensible so that his divinity wholly escapes all human senses. And 
I really love that section, and I think that's that's actually a result of the fall, right? Uh, in the garden, we see that that uh, Adam and Eve had communion with God. They knew God. They walked with God in the garden. They had an intimate relationship. And I think we can build a gospel parallel from knowing God, right? When they sinned against God, God cast them out of the Garden of Eden, and ultimately there was a chasm that was between man and God. And that chasm is is what separates us from God. God cannot be in the presence of sin. And so he sent Jesus to build a bridge between that chasm so that we could know God, but more importantly, enjoy the benefits of God and his saving grace. Grace. And so this chasm, I think, represents many things in the in that we talk about this chasm. We do the bridge diagram when we evangelize, you know, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. That's human, but the free gift of God is eternal life. That's God. And then through Jesus Christ our Lord, that's the bridge, right? And so when we are when when we are in our pre- a saved state when the when the church or when the elect when when we have not been saved yet when we are living according to our sin we we have no knowledge of who God is but then God steps into our life reveals himself to us saves us and then we gain some sort of knowledge of God it's not the full complete comprehensible version knowledge of God but it is at least in some sense a knowledge of his grace, his gospel. We, we are able to get enough of knowledge of God to save us, right? So that people will often say, um, people will often say, uh, God, bring people to a saving knowledge of you, right? Uh, and that, that, is, that is the knowledge that I think, that, that I think we're talking about here. Um, he goes on to say that Reformed theology holds that God can be known, but that it is impossible for man to have knowledge of him that is exhaustive and perfect in every way. A logical definition is impossible. This is talking about how do we define God? A logical definition is impossible because God cannot be subsumed under some higher genus. Uh, I think that's I think that's really important. I think uh, what what he's saying is that reformers, he's reformed, I'm reformed, uh, you should be reformed because it's just right. But what, what Calvin or what the reformers are saying here, what Louis Burkhoff is trying to portray is that uh, reformers believe that we can have a knowledge of God and that knowledge is enough to save us. But that knowledge is only a gift from God. And he's going to go on in further chapters to discuss this because that knowledge that we get of God is special revelation. And he goes on to talk about special revelation uh, in the next few chapters. But that special revelation, that knowledge of God is enough to save us when we receive that gift, when we believe in that his son lived, died, uh, and rose for us and make him Lord of our life. When we receive that, when we believe that, that knowledge becomes real to us and that's a gift from God. But that does not mean that we have a fully an exhaustive knowledge of who God is, how he works, and uh, what his essence is. We just don't know. Our, our finite human brains are capped in our ability to understand the fullness of God until we are, uh, until we are raised again in the last days and brought into eternity with Jesus. Then, 
then I believe we will have a full knowledge of who he is, but he will continue to teach us, right? We, we learn that we will continue to learn in heaven. And so there's still some debate on there too. And I'm not too, too sure where I land, but I do know that, um, in this state that we're in right now, it is impossible for us to have an exhaustive knowledge of God. But does that mean that we can't grow in our knowledge of God? No, no, absolutely not. We can grow in our knowledge of God. I think that happens through sanctification. That happens through the studying of God's word. That happens through prayer. We can grow in our knowledge of God, but it will never reach a point where we have a full understanding of his character and his mystery um, because our finite human nature caps us and and causes us to be unable to do that. And so, um, yeah. And so that's kind of, that's kind of what he says here. And then he tries to talk about, and he not tries, he does talk about um, how do we define God? Um, and he says that that we cannot define God logically with a definition. The only way that we are able to define God is with adjectives or characteristics of his. God is loving. God is gracious. God is, um, you know, light. God is whatever. Add the adjective that you want. That's the only way that we are able to define God. We cannot logically do it. Um, and then he goes on to say it is the most sacred relation between man and his God a relation in which man is conscious of the absolute greatness and majesty of God as the supreme being and of his own utter insignificance and subjection to the high and holy one. I absolutely love that passage or that little, it's not a passage of scripture, but that little uh, line right there in in, in the end of this chapter. He's basically saying that for us to have the most, for us to grow in our knowledge of God, we have to understand how we relate to God and how that relationship works between us. We have to have a right view of God, and we also have to have a right view of ourselves in light of who God is. I have a few podcasts talking about this. I actually have a sermon where I, I walk through um, John 1, and we talk about how John the Baptist and John 1 is is uh is understanding his position in light of who Jesus is. John the Baptist is a testifier to the truth. He is he points to the light, right? But then it talks about how Jesus is the light and he is the truth. And so when we have a right understanding of who we are in light of who God is, we are putting ourselves in, an, in a better position, in the most optimal position to grow our understanding and knowledge of who he is and what he's done for us. And ultimately that will make us more effective in the great commission. And so, uh, what basically what you take away from this passage, what you take away from this chapter, it's literally a page and a half. What you take away from this is God is both incomprehensible and knowable, but God is only knowable if he so chooses to reveal himself to us and save us from our sin. That's the only way that God can be knowable to us. Uh, the word to know in Hebrew is yada. And I have a post on my website that goes through this. It's called yada, yada, yada. And, and yada literally means to know. And, and in Genesis, it was used multiple times for when Adam was going to, to, to go procreate, to go have sex with his wife Eve. And, and when they laid together, it said that, that he knew her through that. The most intimate uh, the most intimate action between a man and a woman, that was when Adam truly knew his wife. He yadad her. 
And so when we kind of step into that relationship with God, that is the most intimate relationship to for him to have revealed himself to us is the most intimate knowledge that we can have in our current state of God. And we should be mindful and we should be intentional to pursue and lean into that as we grow in the Christian life. And so I would encourage you guys to go check out that article on Yada. It's it's a really cool, just quick article, quick read on a Hebrew word. And hopefully you'll learn something from that. Um, I talked really fast. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know if I said any heresies in there, so I just need to apologize right now. Um, I love systematic theologies. I am by no means an expert. I'm by no means a theological genius. Uh, There are much more qualified men and women out there. Um, There are much more uh, able teachers out there. I'm just here walking through this book, hopefully with you guys. And so I hope that you guys will pick this thing up. I hope that you guys will dive into it, that you will walk alongside me as we read this. And if you guys have any suggestions or any uh, critiques or anything that maybe I missed, feel free to email me, gracenationministries at yahoo.com. I'm more than open to talking with you guys, to learning uh, with you guys, and hopefully growing with you guys in our knowledge of the Lord. Systematic theology is an amazing thing, and I absolutely love it. I hope you guys are enjoying the series, and I hope that uh, you will continue to tune in. So, uh, the knowledge of God, the knowability of God, episode one, systematic theology. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Make sure to tune in uh, next time where we are going to go through uh, special and general revelation. Uh, And I am really excited about special and general revelation. I have a lot of thoughts and I've done a lot of study on this. So this is going to be an area where I think I'm going to be able to add a lot of input. And so hopefully it'll be a fun, long, insightful episode for you guys. I hope you all are doing well. Again, reach out to me on social media. Check out the website. Make sure you grab yourself some gear. Uh, Fresh pod every Saturday. I just stole. I don't know. I think Doctrine and Devotion, uh, Joe Thorne and Jimmy Fowler, they get kind of they get kind of butt hurt when when people say Fresh Pod. So we're just gonna say it, Fresh Pod every Saturday. I hope you guys will tune in next time. Head over to the store, grab yourself some gear. I'm trying. Is that what they say? And then they play their little background music. I don't know, guys. I hope you guys are doing well. Make sure, hey, Doctrine and Devotion Conference is coming up in May. Uh, let me know if you guys are going. I'd be excited to see you guys. Um, I'm really excited. So. I say this every time. I say it every episode. Guys, seriously, you are beautiful and you are one of a kind. Until next time, take care and God bless.